Good morning, everyone. I am not Corey Landreth. This is your first time here. <laughs> um, my name is not Corey, and I am not the pastor here at Real Life. Uh, Andrea and Corey had to go out west to help his parents move. They're in Idaho this week um, over spring break. So um, we hope that they have safe travels and enjoy their time with family. And um, I am, am not a pastor, but um, the Lord does occasionally give me um, things. Lots, lots of times it's just to help me, um, but I hope that those are encouragements to you. And the last time that I spoke, uh, Corey kind of gave an introduction about authority and, and women preaching. And um, so I won't go into that big, long thing. If you're here for the first time, I just want you to know that I am not a pastor. I do not consider myself a pastor, but I will share what the Lord has laid on my heart. And I do want you to know that I do come under the authority of Corey as our pastor. And Ray is going to lead us in prayer as one of our uh, leadership men. And um, just wanted to make that point that, um, that I am under the authority of of uh, the leadership in our church. Okay. Before we pray, uh, I guess it's on. Uh, before we pray, uh, as leadership here at Real Life and, and others that are also on the committee, we do endorse this. We encourage uh, fellow Christians to be able to speak when they're able to speak um, and spread the word um, of Jesus. Um, as she says, she's not the, the regular minister here, but she is uh, touched by God's word does a great job in touching others with their experiences and uh, sharing the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for Melody to give us the word this morning, Lord, from her heart. I know, Lord, she's been preparing for this for several days, and with Corey's encouragement and support, they have come up with a great message today. I ask you, Lord, please bless her, bless those who hear her words, and be able to apply them to your hearts. Please be with Corey and the family as they're traveling, and when they get back, um, we have words of encouragement for them. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, in Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. So forgive me, old eyes. I have to, I have to wear readers. <laughs> um, so have you ever compared your small sin to someone else's big sin? and then felt much better about yourself by saying, well, at least I didn't do that. Um, probably we can all relate to that. I've been pretty public in recent years um, about some past sins in my life, and I've openly admitted that when I was finally confronted by God about how badly my sin hurt him, I quickly made the adjustments necessary to change my behavior and am happy to say that in approximately 25 years, I have not fallen into that same sin again. Since my repentance and rededication to serving the Lord at age 30, um, I haven't repeated that sin, but I also have to admit that silently I have condemned others who were not as quick to give up their sin. And I feel like if I could overcome my sin, others should be able to as well. And the Lord has really been convicting me of that um, over the past um, months, a year or so, that that is just as much sin as well. Maybe we can all relate to some part of that story um, and the scenarios. Maybe you've committed some sins that you're ashamed of. Maybe your sin has escalated over the years and you're tired of feeling that there's no way out or that the mess is just too big. 
Maybe you were raised in church and you don't have much sin in your life and you have silently condemned others. Maybe you've repented and believed God for your salvation and yet still struggle with some sin in your life and you think it's just too hard to overcome. But I've got good news today. It is possible. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, uh, God has some answers for us. So in the New Testament, Jesus talks to his disciples and other followers um, in what we call parables. Um, it's just a way to use common um, things that the people in that day knew about and um, make a spiritual point with, with the story. And he often used farming examples and um, sheep, shepherds, that sort of thing, because those were the jobs of the day that they were dealing with. Today, we might think in terms of things from the office or maybe a reference to football or basketball, something like that, but you get the picture. He was trying to make a spiritual point uh, in terms that they would understand. So we're going to look at the parable found in Matthew 20 today. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Starts out, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Then the landowner went out a few hours later and hired some more workers. And again at noon, three and five. At the end of the day, he called everyone to come and get their pay. He called the last first to receive their pay. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us and have borne the, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So we see immediately in this passage that Jesus um, is talking about heaven. He's making that comparison with heaven. He's making a spiritual point, um, and he wants them to know how heaven will work. So the landowner hired someone to work early in the morning. This would be like someone who came to Christ as a child um, and from an early age served God their entire life um, and went about doing his work. Then the landowner went out at noon, three and five, and hired some more workers. And this would be where I fall. Um, I came to an understanding of God's grace and mercy at about the age of 30. And then there's those who came later in life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you know that Jesus died on the cross, but you've never fully surrendered uh, your life to him. So let's see what Jesus says about those who came to know him later in life. In verse 9, we find out that those who were hired at the end of the day were called to receive their pay, and they received the same amount as those who were hired early in the morning. We literally learn that it doesn't matter what happened from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock or from age 7 to 77. If you come to Christ, you will receive the exact same thing, which is eternal life, as everyone else who came to Christ. And we further learn that those who came late will be first, and those who came early will be last. The good news, if you're just learning about God and his mercy, if you've been thinking, I've just committed too many sins, can't possibly, uh, he can't possibly accept me, you are wrong. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that you are going to enter if you accept him, even at a late hour. I don't know if you've heard the song, Mercy Me, um, the song Flawless, but it says in the chorus, take a breath, 
smile and say, right here, right now, I'm okay, because the cross was enough. The cross was enough. No matter what they say or what you think you are, the day you called his name, he made you flawless. So I believe with all my heart that the passage that we just read is true. No matter when you accept Christ, you're going to be in heaven. And just like the song says, um, that he made you flawless, the cross was enough. So what about my confession earlier of my silent condemnation or judgment of others? Um, Even though there are some sins I've stopped, the sin of condemnation is real. In our passage in verse 10 and 11, those who were hired first began to grumble at those who were hired last because they received the same amount of pay. We know that Jesus is talking about salvation and entering heaven. But don't we do the same thing when we compare our sin to other sin and try and make ourselves feel better? Um, I bet most of us have done that at one time or another um, and thought, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Even non-believers make comparisons about their sin versus someone else's sin. I know I did before I accepted Christ. So the Bible was written in context for a purpose, and it was written to a group of people at a certain time for that purpose. And we know that that parable is talking about heaven. But Scripture can have different applications. I know I can read a scripture um, one year and maybe a year or two later I read the same scripture and it can have a totally different meaning, can really touch my heart in a different way. And so I'd like us for a moment just to think about that parable and how it might relate to us in a different way. Um, We all have sinned and fall short. We all deserve punishment. We all deserve death. Even when we have overcome one sin, other sins still linger or crop up. Satan is continually at work on us and will be until Jesus returns and the imperfect is made perfect. But, so don't you hate it when people say but? (laughs) I want to talk a little about the story of David and Bathsheba. While While King David's men were off fighting, David saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba and had an affair with her. David made several attempts to have that affair covered up to no avail. So in the end, he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. He then took her as his wife, and they had a son born to them. It was at this point that David was confronted by God um, about his sin and how much it hurt God. So David repented, but in the end paid the ultimate consequence, and his son died. David's sin hurt him, and his sin hurt God. And this is actually the bottom line today. So if you get nothing else out of the sermon, uh, you might want to write this down. Sin hurts us, and it harms our relationship with God. So I would encourage you this week to read the full story of David, David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel, and then about his repentance in Psalms 51. And I want to read a couple of verses from Psalms 51. Um, We're going to be in 10 through 14. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the type of joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So what can we learn from David and Bathsheba? 
I think we learn that Satan will never be satisfied with just one sin. Sin always escalates. We see that David went from an affair to trying to cover it up to killing Uriah very quickly. When we sin, it harms others. David's sin hurt Bathsheba. It ultimately resulted in the death of their child. It obviously hurt Uriah and his family. And we could probably trace through um, generations the consequences and destruction from that affair. And God wants to see repentance. We see that God confronts David through the prophet Nathan. And when confronted by his sin, David fully repents and turns back to God. So I want to take a moment and expand on my story that I briefly mentioned at the beginning. I mentioned that I turned my life around when I was confronted with the fact that my sin hurt God. I literally had a gut-wrenching pain in that moment. Bill and I had just returned from three years in England. The base where Bill was uh, stationed was going to be closing, so I came back just a couple of minutes, months earlier to um, put our son in school while Bill finished up over there. But at that point, our marriage was done. I knew it was done. He knew it was done. I had no intentions of going back. A few months later, Bill got his next station, which was going to be in Wichita Falls, Texas. And he called me one day to see if I would come back and try one more time. Even at that point, said that he would be willing to go to church with me if I returned. And that made me very, very angry. I was like, I'd been trying to get him to go to church for years. Um, we'd been married about eight to ten years at that time, and he had always said no. And now that I'm done and over it, he's ready to go. But I had people praying for me. My sister sitting in the back was one of them. And um, between that and God's grace and his grace alone, I agreed. So we moved to Texas in February of 1993, and two weeks after we moved, we attended a church. The next week, we tried another church, and that became our church home until we left three years later to return to Kansas. So that first Sunday at the First Church of the Nazarene in Wichita Falls, Texas, during invitation time, I was overcome by how much my sin hurt God. And like I said before, it was like gut-wrenching. I cried so hard that I am sure all those kind of sitting around me thought, she has lost her mind, and maybe I, I did a little bit. I, it was one of those, have you heard people say, ugly cry? I mean, <laughs> you know, it was one of those. <laughs> really, I was overcome. And I'm not sure I can really convey to you the feeling I had, but I believe in that moment, God allowed me to feel in a very, very small fraction the pain that sin caused him and the others around me. It was in that moment that I believe God was preparing me for my future walk with him. And most importantly, he was preparing me to grieve with Bill when nearly 20 years later, I would share with him my unfaithful steps in our marriage. So I'm only telling you this part of the story because I want you to know that there's a better life. There's a way out. There's a Holy Spirit that will walk with you each step of the way. I believe that the Holy Spirit entered into my life that day and gave me the strength to make the changes I needed to to turn my back on that part of my life. And he can do the same for you. But we have to begin to look at Scripture differently. We have to understand that God wants that for all of us. Maybe you're like me and you want freedom that you hear other people talk about. You know, that freedom from guilt, freedom from feeling consumed, Freedom from the burden of life that never changes. 
Or maybe you want to get to a place where you can just let God be God in your life and stop the struggle. I think we can. I think that's what God wants for us. I think there is a way to live by the Holy Spirit that offers freedom. So what does God want for us? He wants repentance. He wants us to walk in freedom. And he wants us to live by the Holy Spirit. Repentance is when you realize that what you're doing harms God and you are met with a sheer gut-wrenching need to open with God, be open with God and tell him what you've done. Freedom comes through that repentance when you let God take the burden of your sin. And like the song Flawless says, the cross is enough. God has forgotten your sin. Now you can walk as a new child of God. And we must live a new life by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. And I like that word, obligation. It's not just when we want to. We have an obligation as Christians, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What I think Paul was saying here is that living by the Spirit is possible, but it isn't painless. There's some work that we will need to do if we're going to make this change and start looking more like Jesus. It is going to require some exercise on our part, transforming, turning away from what the world says is okay, the thinking that what I want in the moment is okay, that as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. This logic is exactly where Satan wants us, totally fooled by the world and its twisted understanding of good. Living by these truths will take us getting into the word, knowing the word, and practicing the word. We will need to be in prayer, listening in prayer for direction of the Holy Spirit, and putting into practice the convictions he asks of us. Following Jesus in our daily lives is difficult. We shouldn't pretend that it isn't. And if our goal is to look more like Jesus every day, that requires us to look less like the world. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to myself. Ultimately, we can't save anyone, grow the church, or even keep ourselves from sinning. But Jesus can, and he does every day. So if a church, we want to draw people in and have them look more like Jesus every day, it's going to have to start with us. When we live by God's Spirit, we can avoid sin and have a healthy relationship with him and with others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that you continue to draw on us. Lord, that you want to eradicate sin. Father, I pray that you would just touch each person here. And Lord, that you would just convict where those convictions need to happen. Lord, I thank you for this day and pray that you would just be with us as we go through the rest of the week. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, while the band's getting ready, I just 